Well, good morning, Fellowship Highcrest. So, I love it. That's excellent. Well, here's the deal. Um, you know, you might be confused because Pastor Jonathan and I look very similar, but um, the reality is he is not here this morning. And uh, my name is Jeremy Wynn, and I am the, the outreach pastor at Fellowship Bible Church. And Jonathan's not here because of a very important reason. Uh, he is moving his family, and everything from Houston to Topeka right now. And he's going to be in town in an hour and 10 minutes. And this is a big deal because his family took a leap of faith when they accepted the position to take on the lead pastor role here at the Highcrest campus because they're in the middle of fostering to adopt three kids. And the state had not given... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting, but the state had not given them permission to adopt them or to move them when they accepted this position. They said, God, we're going to trust you because we know that we're called to foster, and our prayer is that we want to adopt these kids. We also know that you're calling us to go there. So Trisha has been with the kids for, for months now down in Houston, and Jonathan's been going back and forth. But praise God, they are going to be under one home, one roof, starting tonight. So praise God for that. And so, you know, he'll be back next week, but uh, as you see them, man, just say how excited um, that we are to have them there. When you see Trisha, thank her. Man, she has just just been absolutely amazing. I mean, she's just amazing to begin with, but man, after um, how, how faithful she has been to this process, I just have nothing but respect for her. But this morning, I'm really excited to be able to be here and share with you guys because um, Highcrest is near and dear to my heart and my family's heart, and uh, it really has been a part of some key and defining moments in my life, my family's life. And so, who was here for the first Doxazo camp? Raise your hand if you're here. Lois, you were here. Jason was here. The Chillcoats were here. We had a couple, yeah, Paige was here as well. And in, 20, in 2012, this was the first time that we were able to have access to come into the building, but there wasn't anything here. So we had to bring in all the tables and chairs and equipment and everything, and uh, we led camp for the first time and got to start some amazing relationships and meet some uh, incredible friends. And along the journey, there was something else that happened on that day, December 26th, 2012. I met my beautiful wife, Paige, for the first time. I know, right? So she was outside. She was going down the sidewalk that way. It was like 7.30 in the morning, cold December day. And I remember going up to her and being like, hey, my name's Jeremy. It's nice to meet you. I've heard a lot of great things about you. So glad you're able to be here to help. And... Uh, God moved in that relationship, and now we're able to be married. And we've been married for four years now. Just celebrated our anniversary on April 11th, so we're excited about that. Uh, but in the midst of that, of practically part of our engagement was here at this building, but then we uh, decided we bought a house, and uh, that's always an exciting thing to be able to buy and move into a new house. But I'd actually lived in Highcrest for, I don't know, at least a year before um, we bought this house over on right near 37th and Adams, and that house had gotten broken into. And uh, so my wife and I, or at the time my fiance and I, we were talking, and she's like, Jeremy... I'm on board to live there, but we've got to have a plan of how we're going to keep things safe. She's like, I just can't be nervous if people are going to break in and different things. And so I said, okay, okay, well, what if we got a dog that could protect you and keep us safe and bark and those types of things? Would you be okay with that? She's like, all right, I think that'll work. So we went and we got a dog. Uh, his name's Samson. Let me show you a picture of who keeps us safe at night. <laughs> so we ended up getting an alarm as well, but... Uh, but we love Samson and our, our two dogs and everything, keeping us safe. 
But another cool kind of defining moment about Highcrest and this place part of my life is um, being able to be a part of my brother's engagement. So Ryan and Haley got engaged right there. Can you guys see kind of those red basketball lines? So that, again, it was a cold December day. Ryan actually had another plan. He, in his mind, I guess, on December whatever, what, what, what day did you get engaged? 17th? He thought it was going to be a beautiful day outside, so we're going to go do this thing outside and everything. And there was a snow blizzard that came in. I mean, there, I mean, it was, I mean, it was crazy. And so Ryan is like, Jeremy, I don't think we want to wait outside for three hours while Haley goes through this thing. So we just say, hey, let's do it at Avondale. And it turned out beautiful. And so, again, another just uh, special moment um, to be able to be a part of what God is doing here. But in the midst of those blessings and positive things, you know, some of the things I didn't share about are some of the brokenness and difficulties that has gone on in my life, my family's life, because that's just the reality of how life is. Life is difficult sometimes, right? And so, you know, you, you look up there, and uh, my mom, she's had stage 4 cancer before. My dad had a severe car accident, had both of his lungs punctured, 12 ribs broken, two of his, ri- his uh, vertebrae were shattered. I mean, like, difficult stuff, right? But in the last year, my family has been to the emergency room way too many times. Isn't that right, Susan, JT? You guys can attest to this. Wait, I mean, it's, it was so ridiculous that at one point... In the emergency room, my grandpa was in the emergency room, and my dad was in the emergency room for, like, separate things. They were admitted there. And my dad is the uh, power of attorney as well as does all the medical care for my grandpa. And my grandpa couldn't remember what meds he was taking. So we're going to my dad's, the doctor's going to my dad's room, waking him up and saying, hey, uh, Alan, what, what medication is Chuck taking? And what do you recommend we do and everything? My dad's like, uh, do this, do the, you know. And so my family's, like, between these two rooms, I mean, just... Absolutely ridiculous. We've had two surgeries um, in the last couple of years as a family. We've dealt with migraines. I mean, all kinds of difficult stuff. And, you know, it seems like um, difficult things happen, especially when we don't expect it and when it's just not the right time. And I would say right now, personally, uh, my wife and I, we're going through something where we've been married for four years and we've been trying to have kids for three years. But every single month when you think, hey, maybe this is the beginning of the month, and you get the, the negative on the pregnancy test or whatever that looks like, then you get that feeling of, okay, God, not again, you know. It's not going to happen this week. And you start feeling alone. You start feeling isolated. And you start having lies go in your head, and you doubt God. I don't know if you've been there, but Paige and I, we're, we're in the middle of this, and we're wrestling through it. And so as we're going through our own journeys, our own sufferings, our own disappointments, this is when Satan puts those doubts in our mind. And he, he puts doubts in our mind such as, is God really good? Is he really good? Is God really going to fulfill his promises? God doesn't really love you after all you've done. In fact, God's probably punishing you. That's why this is going on. These are some of the lies that go in our heads. And what happens, too, is instead of our first thing being like, we're going to God and we're going to surrender to him, we go to, our, we go to social media, we go to the internet, we go to family, friends, counselors, whatever it might be, to try to either distract ourselves or get an answer that we want or whatever it might be, instead of going to the place that we need to go first, which is to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be answering this question of, can God use me when I laugh at him? You might be saying, what do you mean when I laugh at him? Well, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 18 at a story where God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah. But when he makes this promise, Sarah laughs at God and says, oh, you're not able to do that. So what this means is 
Can God use us after we laugh at him, after we doubt him? And so uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. Um, and as, as you head there, I'm going to set the stage for where we're going with this, okay? So in Genesis, leading up to Gen- Genesis chapter 18, because this is an ongoing narrative, you have creation, right? And in creation, God makes the world perfect. He makes it good, and he makes everything in relationship with him, because that is what God is about. God is about relationships, and he wants us to have a relationship with him, and he wants to have a relationship with us. But then we go to chapter 3, and man rebelled against God, and brokenness and sin entered the world. And things have never been the same since then. So you look, and then from Genesis chapter 3 to 11, you see Adam and Eve ate the fruit. But then after that, they didn't fess up to it. They hid from God, and they made excuses. This woman you gave to me, the serpent, all these types of things, they run, they hide from God. Then they're kicked out of the garden. Then their son, Cain, kills his brother. We have the first murder. And then we get to Genesis chapter 6, where we see in verses 5 through 7, I'm going to read it, just how, how terrible the world was at this place. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 says this, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth. But then hear this last part. It says, It broke his heart. That's not how, what he wanted. That's not how it's intended to be. And then Genesis chapter 11, we move on, and we have the Tower of Babel, where, again, humanity, we say, hey, we can build this, we can do this, we can create this tower to get to heaven, because we want to do it in our own works, and our own strength, and God says, no, we're not, you're not going to do that. And so he changes their languages, and he confuses them, and he separates it all. So then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And finally, we start seeing how God is going to unfold his plan of restoration and redemption in the world. And so there's this man named Abraham, and God speaks to him. And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. He says this, I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on earth will be blessed through you. So God chooses to use an imperfect and broken man named Abraham to bring about his blessing to the nations. Just like he does today. He uses imperfect and broken people to complete his perfect and um, and unchanging and perfect plan. And isn't that good news? Because we are all so sinful and broken. If, it, if we had to meet a certain standard, we would never, never be able to be used by God. But thankfully, he meets us where we are at. And so Abraham, at this time, he's 86 years old, and he hears this promise. And this promise isn't that, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you can keep all this to yourself and you know, take care of your family. But he's going to bless Abraham so that he can bless others and so that this blessing can go out to the nations. And what do we mean by blessing? This, this blessing that is talked about, it's this idea of having a relationship with God. And so this blessing, it's not just material blessings and physical and comfort, but it's as you are given this relationship with God, and out of that you are able to have joy and peace and hope that you're going to then spill that out and share that with other people, and it's going to go to all the nations of the earth. And so Abraham's excited about this. He's like, I get to be a part of, of this covenant with God. I get to be part of a great nation. You know, I know I'm 86, but man, God's going to use me in some amazing ways. But then we jump to Genesis chapter 18, and this is 13 years later. 
So Abraham's 99. He's been waiting 13 years, and from his perspective, God has not made any movement on his promise. And he's starting to have some questions, and so is his wife, Sarah. And so there's three visitors that show up. One of them's God and two of them's angels. How about, how about those visitors coming to dinner, right? So they show up, and then we get to Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. So in your Bibles, go to page 11, and I'm going to read it. It says this, Where is Sarah, your wife? Your wife the visitors asked. Oh, she's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will turn to, return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah... She will have a son. Sarah was listening to the conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah, they were very, both very old by this time. And Sarah was long past her age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I, I-, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, no, you did laugh. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to unfold some lies and some truths. Okay, we're going to fold some lies and some truths. So we're going to start off with the, the first lie is that God is not powerful enough. And there might be some in this room that, that you don't believe in God yet. And you don't believe that, that God is, exists or maybe that he has powers or he's omnipotent or any of those things. And that might be where you're at. And if that's where you're at, we are so glad that you are here this morning and that you are willing to, to wrestle with this and ask questions. And I would just encourage you, come up afterwards. I can talk with you, or someone else from our discipleship team would be glad to talk with you. But I think there's others that they're stuck in an area of disbelief. It's in the sense of they, they, know, God that pow- they, got, they know that God is powerful enough, but they don't believe that God is going to fulfill his power in their situation. I flash back to Mark 9, verse 24, where you have this dad that brings his son who's um, just filled with demons and all these things they had in his life. And Jesus said, well, all you need to do is believe. And his dad says, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's an okay place to be in. It's an okay place to say, God, I believe you, everything in me wants to believe you, but at the same time, help my unbelief. And that might even be a daily or even an hourly prayer where you're wrestling through things because Satan and this world and everything wants to put lies and bombard us with things, and Satan wants us to believe that God isn't powerful enough and that he's not going to do what he says. But again, in the midst of that, that's where we need to say, God, I do believe, help my unbelief. So the truth is what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so you look at what was going on with Abraham and Sarah where they're past the childbearing age, and it seems like, okay, if they're going to come back in a year, we're going to have a child. That means things are going to need to happen quickly. Like, this just doesn't make sense, and it's just impossible. It's impossible. And we've all been there in situations where we've said, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. We felt hopeless. Go back to feeling that alone, that isolation. We said, I can't do this. And God says, I know. I know you can't do this. 
That's why I can. And those are those times where we have to choose to believe and trust that God can do what man cannot do. Okay, the second line is God cannot use you because you are too broken. Now, in Sarah's case, there's uh, a case of physical brokenness, right? Where she's beyond the age of childbearing and her husband's too old and there's just, in her mind, physical limitations where she's physically too broken. And that might be true for, for where some of us are at is, you know, maybe uh, I'm not able to, you know, speak the way I want to or I'm not able to, whatever the, you feel like the physical limitation is, that might be a reality for you. But then I think for, for many others, you know, we live out of fear and insecurity of the flesh and we say, I have too many past sins. I'm too broken. I have too many hurts. I have too many fears. I have too many pains. And you know what? I don't feel like God can use me, and I honestly don't even feel like God wants to use me. And that is a straight lie. That is a straight lie. Because the truth is, is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises, and God loves the whole world. He loves the whole world. doesn't matter what you look like, what you sound like, whatever. God loves the whole world. And everyone has a place to be used by him. We are all sinful. We are all broken. But when we are at the cross, we are all level. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter where we're at, God can forgive us and redeem us and use us for his purposes. The last lie is, if God really knew me, he would not love me. We fear vulnerability, and we turn away from God. We see this with Adam and Eve when God says, what did you do? Oh, and, and they hide, or, you know, uh, oh, well, uh, this woman that you gave me, or this snake. We, we fear vulnerability. We turn. We run away. We don't want our sins, our insecurities, our fears, our pains. We don't want those to be exposed. We want to have a filter. We want to be able to post on Facebook what we want to post. And if that's nice pictures and a great marriage and a great life, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to filter our life and allow people to see what we want them to see. And we want to do the same thing with God. And we feel like we're not good enough. And again, God says, yes, that's true. That's why Jesus is enough. So in the middle of that moment when we want to deny and we want to hide, the truth is that God fully knows us and he fully loves us. He created us and knit us together in our mother's womb, and we are, each one of us, are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a unique and special plan for each one of us, each one of us, and our journeys are all different. Our giftings are all different, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful that we bring different things to the table. If we were all one way, how boring would it be? And there'd be, there would be conflict. I mean, it just would not work. God uses each one of us in our unique ways. And like I said before, God uses weak and ordinary people. He doesn't expect us to be at a certain place. He knows where we're at. He knows our brokenness. He knows, he knows all of it. And he wants to have a relationship right where we're at. So now I want to ask the question, in light of this, how does God respond to us when we laugh at him? Because we are all sinful, right? So I think there's all times where we have doubted, we've lived in, lived in our insecurities or our unbelief or whatever it is. So how does God respond when we laugh at him? Because I know for me, if someone goes to me and they're like, Jeremy, 
you know, I don't trust you, and I don't, I don't think you're for me, and I think you're doing this, and they don't believe the best about me, and they start, you know, attacking me and doubting me and all these things. I get frustrated and ticked. Like, where is this coming from? Have, I've, I've done everything I can to try to help and support. And I get frustrated. I'm like, what's going on? So think about how does God feel when we reject and doubt him? Well, here's the deal. God lavishes his divine grace beyond what we deserve. Through this passage in Genesis 18, we marvel at God's divine grace because against all odds and in spite of Abraham and Sarah's laughter, God remains determined to bless Sarah and Abraham. He is determined to have a relationship with them beyond anything they deserve. So when I, in my flesh, when I go to, go to truth and attack and everything, God lavishes his grace. And that grace is out there for anyone. We have to choose to accept it. And it is God's grace, not human merit, that determines the course and blessing of our lives. I'm going to say that one more time. It is God's grace, not human merit, that determines the course and blessings in our lives. There's nothing we can do, right? There's nothing that we can do. So, next question I want to ask is, can we trust God in the midst of disappointment? So maybe you are in the middle of something right now that you are struggling to trust God with. Something that you don't see answers to, something that, that bothers you maybe even daily. Something that you're like, I've been praying for this for years now, and I haven't seen God come through. Can you trust God in the midst of that disappointment? Well, let's look at the story of Abraham and Isaac and see what happened there. So in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, it says this. The Lord kept his word. Let me read that one more time. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. <laughs> so she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. He was 100 at this point. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Can we trust God in the midst of disappointment? God kept his word. God keeps his word. God will fulfill his promises. You might say, okay, that's the Old Testament. Okay, so let's talk about the New Testament. Okay, well, I'm going to give you one verse, but there are dozens, dozens, and stories, and it's unbelievable. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, if we are unfaithful, I would change it to say when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful. Maybe not the way we want him to be faithful, maybe not the time that we want him to do it, but he remains faithful, and he works all things for good, good being the advancement of the gospel for those who love him and live according to his purposes. Oops, let me go back. Well, no, it's fine. So we look at the scripture, and we see that Sarah laughs at God, and the Lord responds. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Guys, this walk of faith, it involves looking difficult circumstances in the face and with the promises of God defying the discouragements, disappointments, and frustrations that attempt to abandon hope in God. But here's the reality. Nothing is too hard for God. Indeed, he has already done the hardest thing. He has already done the hardest thing in becoming one of us and dying for us. 
He has done the hardest thing when he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, pay the penalty for his sins. He did the hardest thing. So shall he not care for us in a thousand lesser ways? So let me go back to the original question. Can God still use us after we laugh at him? Well, Abraham and Sarah, they ended up becoming the father and mother of a great nation. Now, Israel was not perfect, and oh my goodness, they strayed away from God constantly, and they didn't listen to him, and they denied him, and they went other ways, and they had judgment and everything, but, but, God did use Sarah and Abraham to be the mother and father of a great nation, and that nation did go to be a blessing to all the nations, in spite of themselves, just like God uses us in spite of us. So, can God use us after we laugh at him? The answer is unequivocally yes. And here's why. God is still on the throne. His plan for us is still valid. He still loves us in spite of us. Jesus is still risen. And God still redeems and reconciles. These are some truths that we can hold on to no matter what. And as we go through this series on still, we're going to be talking about, can God use me still in the midst of my brokenness? And today we focused on, can we use God in the midst of us laughing at him? And the answer is yes. So let me go personal. Paige and I have been married four years, trying to get pregnant for three years, and we've been really wrestling through, God, we feel like you've called us, we know that you've called us to be parents, to be a family, but it's been, what we've had to surrender is we want to have this many kids at this time, in this way, in this, type of, in this process, and to say, God, we're going to trust you with however that looks, however that looks. And so I'm excited to share with you that we're at the, the beginning process, but we're in the process of uh, adoption. And so I tell you again, we're, it's kind of like sharing you're pregnant when you're like a month in, but we, we trust, we trust that we are going to be parents. And we're going through this journey, and, you know, at times it's still difficult. You know, in your mind, you can say, I know God's good. I know that he's going to provide. I know that a biologic and adopted child are absolutely the same. Like, I know that three years isn't that long. Like, I know these things. But when you're in the middle of it, it's that daily wrestling and surrendering to God. So we're in the middle of that. But like I said, God uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect plan. So now I'm going to go and move it to you. So what are you laughing at God about right now? What is it that you are, are doubting in him? Maybe it's like us, not being able to have kids. Maybe it's not having a spouse. God, when are you going to provide a spouse for me? Or maybe it's, God, there's no way I'm going to be able to raise these kids. There's no way I'm going to be able to raise them the way I want to. God, there's no way I'm going to be able to have a strong marriage. There's no way I'm going to be able to have stable finances. There's no way I'm going to be able to quit this addiction. Whatever it is, God has a plan for you, and you can trust him. So whatever lie Satan is feeding you, I would ask you to trust God with it. So as the band comes up and we prepare to uh, continue to, to worship through song, I want you to take just a few moments, and on your worship guide it says, today I choose to trust God with blank. Think about what is that, what is that thing that you need to surrender to the Lord. And I would say that often, surrendering 99% is really tough. Surrendering 99% is really tough because we like to hold on 
to a few things. And we also like to justify us not trusting because of all the things we've given up. Well, God, look at all this I've given up. That has to be enough. God calls us to surrender and trust 100%. And as we do that, man, we're going to be able to experience Christ's peace, his hope, his joy, all those different things that he provides to us. And maybe today is your first time that you're choosing to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that is you, man, we are so excited for you. We want to come alongside you. Come grab me or or someone else, and we'd love to talk to you through that. Let me pray, and we'll continue to, to worship. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, your, your attributes of how you are trustworthy, of how you are consistent, of how you are faithful, of how you keep your word, of how even though when we're unfaithful, you are faithful and with us. Father, help us not to believe the lies that Satan puts in us, that we feel alone, we feel hopeless, we question you, we question others, but help us live in your divine grace. Help us, help us to to feel the lavishness of that divine grace. Help us feel the freedom in that and help us not to strive and do things on our own merit, but live in your grace. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you do in our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen.